All right, let's uh, work those legs out and get up on your feet. If you're feeling real uh, blessed after that worship set, you can do a couple of jumping jacks too, just to praise the Lord. All right, I'm going to read out of Matthew uh, chapter 5. I believe the verses will be on the screen if you want to follow along. These are the Beatitudes, chapter uh, Matthew 5, 3 through 11. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Jesus, we thank you that your presence is here in this place. We thank you for what you are doing inside of our hearts tonight. And I just continue, God, I want to be patient. I want to depend upon you. I just ask, Lord, that you would bring forth your word in purity and in power tonight, God, that it would awaken, it would call to the the deep places inside of us, God, that the, the same voice that spoke and created our very being, we would hear that same voice tonight in this room, God, that you would whisper through the words I share, God, that you would bring us into the knowledge of the holy. And we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I love when God changes plans, don't you? I love, I I literally had no idea what time it was. I was lost in worship. I was like, oh my gosh, it's almost five o'clock. I thought it was 15 minutes. I love when God has his way. We never know what God's going to do next, but we always know it's going to be good. And God is teaching us what it's like to live in his goodness. <sighs> Who's more meek than they were last week? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I hope I am too. But you'd have to talk to Jackie if you wanted confirmation of that. <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's what I want to talk about tonight. And before I do, I want to just again reemphasize that these Beatitudes are Jesus describing to us what reality is actually like. 
He's saying, this is the best way I can express what the kingdom of God is as I stand here with human skin on. This is Jesus, the master teacher who never came out and just told us things at face value, but he used our language to create these tensions and parables and paradox that we would actually have to wrestle with so that it would get into us and bring about internal change and reveal this whole new reality called the kingdom of God. And the Beatitudes are Jesus doing this. He would often come, take a cultural norm, deconstruct it, and just leave people reeling. <laughs> like, what does that mean? And this is what Jesus is doing with the Beatitudes. He is deconstructing every single person who's ever read this in a human body. He's deconstructing what it means to be blessed. And he's offering us insight. He's giving it. It's like he doesn't come out just, he's not going to just, it's not just dangling. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to wrestle with it. But for those that will wrestle, you'll discover the truth. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you search for me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. Jesus is longing for you and I to find him in these words and make it flesh and bone in our life so that we can become a living reincarnation of the kingdom of God on earth. Amen. You could go home now. That's a good word. So here we are, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For those of you that have a more scholarly orientation, this may be something that you find fascinating. The Beatitudes are actually two sets of quartets, so they go in sequence. And the first three, poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, are actually the preconditions that produce hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the end of the first quartet is that you would be satisfied with righteousness. The next four Beatitudes are then the effect of that righteousness. So when you are satisfied with righteousness, you become merciful, you become pure, you become a peacemaker, and then the last is you are then persecuted because of that righteousness. So the first four are actually the preconditions of the next four, and hunger and thirst is kind of the summation of these first three Beatitudes. So you'll never be hungry and thirsty for righteousness until you're poor. You're aware of your need. Need, in a way, is hunger. You're not going to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness unless you've known how to mourn because hunger is painful. You're not going to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness if you're not meek. You're not emptied for, with self. You won't yearn for God unless the independence and the ego is gone. So hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's something I've long pondered, and I, I just come back to this over and over throughout the years. This isn't just the only verse that speaks on hunger. The Psalms are full of hunger. But tonight I'm going to try to take us in on a journey of what does it mean to hunger and thirst? What is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about? And then how do we cultivate this type of inner reality in our lives? Because Jesus is saying this is the way of the kingdom, but he's also saying I am the king of the kingdom. This is what my internal reality is like. Jesus is telling us I am hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So we wanna be like Jesus, right? So, Lord, make us like you tonight. Make us hungry and thirsty. So, small caveat, but I feel like some of the work that the Lord began in worship in some of your hearts, it's not done, and he's going to keep working on you even throughout the message. So I just want to give you permission that you can respond to God. 
you want to come to your knees, if you want to come to an altar, if, if, if emotion is coming out of you, it may be uncomfortable, but it's okay. You have permission to respond to what God is doing. We're here to respond to him. So the topic of hunger and thirst is interesting because whether we know it or not, we all, I wouldn't say all, but I would say the vast majority of us in this room have a very westernized definition or version or mental image of what it means to be hungry or thirsty, right? We throw out hunger very flippantly in our culture because not very many, percentage speaking, in the Western world understand the true depth and pain of hunger. Uh, I learned a lot about hunger, particularly in my time in Africa. And I had a friend, uh, his name was Manuel, and he was probably two years younger than me, and he was a ministry leader in Mozambique. And he, we one day we were hanging out, like we spent the whole day together, and we were just chit-chatting and talking about life. And we, we got to the topic of some of his past years in his childhood, and he started talking about a time when there was a lot of floods throughout Mozambique, and so people were, because the rivers were so wild and the floods, that people would be stranded on you know, little pockets of land, and there was no food. And with tears in his eyes, he started telling me, he is the oldest, he had three little brothers, and started telling me of how they were so desperately hungry that they got to the point where they would, they would mix water with the dirt, and they'd start eating the dirt because it would make the hunger just go away for just a little bit. It would make like the, the sickening, painful depth of that hunger stop. And they were doing that knowing full well that African dirt is full of tapeworms, which will destroy your insides. But they're so hungry, they'd eat mud just to make that hunger go away. The first thing I want to talk about when we talk about hunger is that hunger is painful. We kind of say like, oh, I want to be hungry for God. But we don't realize that hunger doesn't feel good. We kind of think for some reason that hunger in a spiritual sense would like still feel good. It doesn't feel good. Hunger is not fun. Hunger hurts. Thirst is painful. Second thing about hunger that I think is worth noting is that hunger is dangerous. Has anybody seen, anybody of Rocky, Rocky fans? You know, like Rocky Balboa? Anybody? Come on. Come on. I know. Oh, yeah. I, I love those movies. You know, in those, the first two movies, Rocky's hungry. Uh, he's, he's hungry to beat Apollo Creed. He finally does it. He becomes the champ. And then the third movie, Mr. T comes along. You know what I'm talking about? And in the beginning of the movie, it's like Rocky's like, he's the man, he's got the belt, he's got the money now, and you can see that he's lost, he's lost the eye of the tiger. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Gotta get the eye of the tiger, man. He lost the eye of the tiger, but Mr. T's hungry now. And there's this scene, if you've seen the movie, it's they're, they're finally meeting in the ring, and they're face to face, and you can see that one man is hungry, which is Mr. T, and Rocky is not hungry. And you could bet all your life's earnings on who's going to win that fight. Because any betting man will know that you put your money on a hungry man. Because a hungry man will get fed. Hunger is dangerous. Whoever's the hungriest is the most dangerous because they're not going to stop until they get what they want. I had another, another uh, he was a minister that he was, he was sharing with me that he was part of relief efforts in, I, th I believe it was Africa, at one point. And he said, I never, 
I never understood hunger, he said, until I was, I was part of the, I was driving trucks that were full of food to get to people that hadn't had food in weeks and sometimes months. And he said, and we had to have a full armed security escort, full AK-47s as we were passing out food to these villages because these people were so desperately hungry that they would kill for that food. And so we had, we had to like create law and order just to be able to get food because they were so hungry. Hunger is dangerous because a hungry man or a hungry woman will get what they hunger for. They will be satisfied. And the last thing about hunger that I want to articulate is that hunger is indiscriminate. And a better way of saying that is to a hungry person, everything tastes good. There was a time, my, my mom and my dad, way back, uh, it was probably 10, 15 years ago, they were running the race to Roby Creek. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, it's like that half marathon. It ends kind of back, you know, up in the foothills. And my grandpa and my cousins, it was Sam and Riley, we were all there. I don't know if you guys remember this, but we were like, you couldn't get there because the race route closed the the streets so we were gonna hike in and we got lost for hours and I just remember we were on this grand adventure and we finally mosey our way to the race finish like hours later and I was famished and I remember eating and I remember thinking this is the best food I've ever tasted in my life and then like a couple hours someone was like that food was disgusting at the finish line today and I was thinking I'm like did we eat the same food? I was like, I literally thought I was at Chandler's, you know, like, you know having, a, having a nice filet mignon or something. You know, like when you're hungry, everything tastes good. Everything does. It doesn't discriminate. There's a sociological study that goes through the food industry and how they market to the different uh, socioeconomic classes. And this is, this is what they found. This is stereotypical, and neither one is right or wrong. This is just how it works. To the lower income, the lower third of a uh, uh, class, uh, the way that uh, they market food is that it's the most amount of food for the lowest price. You know, so think you're like buffet. It's like, woohoo, get me there. Uh, and middle, the middle-class uh, America, how they uh, market to middle classes, it's the most bang for your buck. So the best meal you can get for the best price. And then the wealthy upper-third class, the way that they market is it's actually nothing to do about price. It's everything to do about presentation, mood, ambience, how it looks, how it feels. We, you know, there's, neither one's right or wrong, and I actually don't care what kind of restaurants you like. You know, it's, you, you're American. You can choose what restaurants you like. But the point I'm trying to make is that we need to be spiritually hungry, not spiritually satisfied and wealthy. You know if you're spiritually hungry because every sermon's the best sermon you've ever heard. You, you know you're spiritually hungry if every single time the name of Jesus is in a song, you're literally encountering God. You know you're spiritually hungry because you always get fed because hungry people aren't, they're indiscriminate. Everything tastes good. I'm serious. I have people, you know, I've been, I've been overseas so many times. I've gone back where it's like three, four years later. And they will quote to me a message that I preach to them. Like, like they're so hungry. I'm like, man, that wasn't even a very good message. They don't care. 
I have, I have, I have never, this is true, in, in all my time in India, I have never seen any meeting I've been at someone speak and someone not be moved by it. Right. Like, it, it's, it, it almost, you think they're faking. They're not faking. They're just hungry. Right. <laughs> when you're hungry, everything tastes good. good. Right? When you're, when you're wealthy, it's kind of like, you know, you're like, how does the mood feel? <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, the worship wasn't really vibing with me that night, you know, those weren't my favorite songs, you know, like that message, that message isn't the way that I like messages, like, I don't really like those passages, like, you know, it's like we become like, and, and again, I'm not trying to beat anybody up, but like, we live in a consumeristic nation that's teaching us how to be consumers, but hungry people just eat and eat and eat, they're just hungry, this is a good word, you're so quiet, <laughs> no, it's okay. You can be quiet if you want. I know you're thinking. I know you're thinking. So, so that's hunger. That's hunger. Trying to get like a, a break it out of the box so that we can see, right? Because Jesus isn't speaking to a bunch of like wealthy people in the Mediterranean, you know, casas on the hillside. He's, he's speaking to a, a lot of poor people who knew what hunger and thirst was. And he's associating this to blessed, <laughs> I love Jesus. He's the best teacher ever. Whew. Okay. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So interestingly enough, he actually defines righteousness later in the Sermon on the Mount by making it synonymous to the kingdom of God, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is Matthew 6, and all these things will be added unto you. And then it's interesting, in the Lord's Prayer, he makes another term synonymous to the kingdom when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we can actually interchange by looking at Jesus' sermon, righteousness, the will of God, and the kingdom of God are synonymous. He actually links them together, which I think this is beautiful because what Jesus is doing in, in linking these terms together is he's actually marrying the individual and the communal, the social and the spiritual all in one thing. So he's saying, I want you to hunger and thirst for God, for the kingdom, for his manifest presence. And I want you to hunger and thirst for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness to actually come into the land, for the morality and the justice of God to come, right? So we look at Jesus. Jesus hungered and thirsted for the Father's presence. He was spent all night in prayer multiple times. There's references all throughout the Gospels that he would, he would literally have to distance himself. Sometimes almost, almost aggressively the language would show that he has to push people away so that he could go and seek the face of his Father. He, he hungered for the presence of God, right? But he also walked around, moved with compassion, which compassion is, is the result. That's, that's, that's hunger plus love. <laughs> that's compassion. And he hungered to see injustice turned, right? To see broken lives healed, to see situations redeemed. He, he hungered to see God's kingdom come for the poor and the broken and the needy and those that were lost in their sin. Right? He hungered for it. He, he had this. He, he, he hungered for God and he hungered for his kingdom to come. It's like it's all in one. And there's something catalytic that happens when those things get married in a human life. When you hunger for him and then you get a vision of the aspect of the kingdom of God that God has created you to reveal on the earth and you start to hunger for that. 
You just can't be stopped. It's painful, but it's dangerous. It's this force of nature that just won't be quenched. Right? So in this sense, you could look at someone like a Martin Luther King and you could say, wow, that was a man who hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He, he hungered to see racial you know, injustice changed. He, he, he hungered for it. So, so Jesus is saying, I want you to hunger for God and I want you to hunger to see the kingdom come. I want you to hunger for his righteousness. This is amazing. This is beautiful. It's catalytic. You know, I can relate to it in a sense of I've been moved many times in my life, but probably, you know, as we shared when we got back from Pakistan, which, by the way, I was going to tell you, over $130,000 has come in for Pakistan in the last month. Yeah. And India and Pakistan combined over $200,000 came in in the last three weeks for both of those missions. So just praise be to God. Seriously, I just, I honor your generosity. I honor your faithfulness. And it's just, it, I haven't been able to wrap my head around it. But I, I, I witness, when you witness something like slavery, when you witness something like systemic poverty that's just backbreaking, you just start to hunger. You get hungry to see injustice broken and, and broken people esteemed with dignity. You know, and it's not just there, it's here. It's like God is hungry like Jesus is saying this is what I'm like I hunger I hunger for righteousness he looks at our city and he's hungry it's painful and it's dangerous and it's indiscriminate it's just it's just this force and it's spiritual law that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they'll be satisfied <laughs> It's amazing. John Lake, who is a very hungry man, a revivalist, 120 years ago, is with the Lord now. He, he, he would talk about his writings, talking about that, the, the, really the, the difficult part's just getting hungry. That's the work of grace. That's what God has to spend his time with us on. It's just, it's just discipling us to a place of hunger. Once we're hungry, the rest is easy. Because when you get hungry, you won't stop till you're satisfied. That's what hunger means. It is so good. Mark 6 is this beautiful picture of Jesus' hunger where it says they've been, he's, he's sent, he's earlier in the chapter, he sent out the 12. They've gone out, they've been doing like, sounds like weeks worth of ministry. They come back. They're probably tired. Jesus has been doing ministry, and it says, Jesus says, come away with me. Let's go to a secluded place. So Jesus is drawing them to a prayer place. So Jesus is hungering for the Father's presence. They get in a boat. They go away. As they go away, the crowds see them. When they get there, they see the whole crowd. So it's like, you know, you want to get away, and you want to be with God and pray. You ever had that kind of day? You're like, I just want to get away with God and pray, and then something else is in your face, like life happens. And so all these people are there. Instead of Jesus saying no, it says he's moved with compassion, which, again, is hunger 
plus love. He's moved with compassion. He starts teaching them all day, teaches them into the night. Why? Because he hungered. He said he saw them like dispirited. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he saw broken people. He saw the injustice in their life. He knew their stories. He's Jehovah Ra, the one who sees. He sees them all. He's moved with hunger. He teaches them all day. They're hungry. They can't send them away. He multiplies food. He feeds them. He just literally feeds them with the bread and the fishes, this amazing story. And you think, wow, now it's time for your nap. No. Then he pushes them away and he tells his disciples to get in the boat. And then he goes to the mountain to pray all night with the father. Why? Because he was hungry. He was hungry for the father's presence. It's like, you just see it. It's like, he's hungry. He was hungry to see the kingdom come. And he was hungry for the king of the kingdom. He's hungry for his father's presence. Wow. What type of hunger? It's like, it just was, it's just this force that was just pushing Jesus, always pulling him, pulling him, pulling him, pulling him to the Father, pulling him to see his righteousness come. It's amazing. So how do we get hungry? 537. All right. Do I have like 15 minutes? Okay. No, I, 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 seriously, I like to honor your time, so... If you give me 15 minutes, we'll do this in 15 minutes. How do we get hungry? Right, this is the this is the work. This is this is the real ticket. This is what we have to learn. I think there's three ways that we get hungry. There's only one of them I want to talk about tonight. The first is just sovereignly. God will sometimes just sovereignly come. He'll touch us. He'll give us a gift of hunger. This usually doesn't last forever, uh, but it, this this will just take place. I think it's an incredible gift when God just touches a life out of nowhere. You weren't hungry, and the next day, you're hungry. All right, so that's one. God sovereignly can touch you. Two, you go through a crisis, and in that crisis, you turn to God. So it's actually your personal pain produces a hunger for God because you become aware of your need in Him. All right, so that's two. I don't like to think that I need to be dependent upon crisis to cultivate anything in my relationship with God. It shouldn't take crisis. Often things will start in crisis, but they can be sustained out of crisis. God wants to teach us a different way. So I don't want to talk about crisis tonight. Crisis isn't bad. The wilderness is used. But what I want to talk about is the third way that we can cultivate hunger, which is actually through spiritual discipline. Now, a note on spiritual discipline before I dive in, I'm going to make this real practical. I'm going to invite you into something I think that's exciting tonight, is what is spiritual discipline? Right? To answer that, we first have to say, what is human discipline? Right? Discipline is simply, like a human discipline is simply doing something that you can do that allows you to tap into a power so that you, could do that, so that you can do something you couldn't do before. That was real clunky, but here's what that looks like practically. If you wanted to bench press 250 pounds, some of you probably can, some of you can't right now. Can't do that. But a discipline would be, I'm gonna start doing push-ups, or I'm gonna start curling you know, 20 pound weights, because I can do that. And somehow doing the thing that you can do allows you to tap into a power that over time, you can then do something like bench pressing 250 pounds that you couldn't do before. That's discipline. It's doing things that you can do that empowers you to do things you couldn't do before. That's, that's just human natural discipline. You see this all over, like this is how you get good at anything in life. You, you discipline. And you don't just stumble into greatness in any field of art, science, sports, whatever it is. Finance, like discipline. Discipline. All right, spiritual disciplines are different than human disciplines in this sense. 
You're doing something, but it's not to tap into your own power and potential, but you're actually doing, you're, you're exercising behaviors that create space for you to tap into the power of God so that God can do something that you could never imagine that you could do. You could never do in a million years. Right? So you, you're doing things like prayer or you're singing songs or you're, uh, you know, whatever. You're, you're practicing Sabbath or you're, you're spending time in silence and solitude or you journal. Like there's these disciplines that are things that we can do that then position us to tap into a higher power, the highest power, the king of kings, and he then can come. He gives us his power. It's not by our might or our strength, but it's by his spirit, says the Lord. And somehow by doing these little behaviors that God's inviting us to, these little, these little, basically what they are is they're little snippets of Jesus' life. They're things that we saw Jesus do and are like, well, Jesus was doing these things. Maybe we should do these things because Jesus is the way to the Father. So that's all spiritual discipline is. It's looking at little things Jesus did in his life and saying, well, Jesus did that. I bet you it would do something in my life if I did it too, because I'm trying to become like him. That's all it is, okay? So the spiritual discipline I want to talk about tonight is fasting. Gulp. If you gulped or shrieked during the inside, or if you're like, okay, I told you 15 minutes, four minutes ago, and I lied, I'm leaving now, uh, it's because you do not see the gift that fasting is. Fasting is actually feasting. Fasting, when God invites you to a fast, he's actually inviting you to a feast. Because the difference between spiritual hunger and natural hunger is that naturally, when you eat food, you get satisfied. But spiritually, as you feast upon God, you get hungry. That's how you get hungry. You eat. You eat God. You consume him. You drink my flesh. You, eat, you drink my blood. Eat my flesh. You consume God. As you pray in the kingdom, the more you pray, the more you want to pray. The more you read the scriptures, the more you want to read the scriptures. The more you experience his presence, the more you want to experience his presence. The more you see his working in your life, the more you want to see him working in your life. The way you get hungry in the spirit is you eat. So this is why I say fasting is feasting. It's this paradox. God's like, here's the thing. Your body's going to be hungry because you're going to withhold food from your body. But as your body is hungering, your spirit is actually receiving a feast from God. And you're going to feast upon the supernatural grace of heaven. And hunger is going to start to awaken inside of you. You fast to get hungry. This is what Heidi taught us in Africa. You fast to get hungry. That's why you fast. You fast to get hungry. So I used to see fasting like you bite your, you kind of clench. You're like, this is going to hurt. How long can I make it? Like, and you clench your teeth and you're like, okay, now you better hear my prayers because I haven't eaten in 36 hours and I'm cranky. <laughs> ah. Fasting is God's like, hey, I want to give you a super abundant supply of my grace. I want to sustain you with my presence in this season in such a way that you literally won't need bread alone, but you can live off every word that comes from my mouth. And I will sustain and edify your spirit and I will make you bigger than what you were before. I'll make you hungry. This is, this is what I believe when it comes to, to spirituality is that the, the things that we believe are mountains are actually just little hills of resistance that stand in the way between us and a life on fire for Jesus. I, I think we, we let the, the, it's like when Joshua 
And they, Moses sends the spies into the promised land and they come back and they're like, they're like, they're like, they're giants. They, we look like grasshoppers in their sight, most of them, except for Joshua and Caleb. Like there's something about the way the enemy just tries to project things and make things big. And what I'm trying to make the point of is that I believe it's a small veneer of distraction that keeps us from pressing through right into the heart of God, into this self-sustaining hunger and thirst for righteousness that just continually draws us into the heart of God, into the way of the kingdom, into the presence of his glory day after day after day. Like Jesus is like, I really have this life for you. And, and I think we look at like the spiritual saints and we look at the Tozers and, and all the people. We all have our list of the people that are like walking in the kingdom. And we're like, oh my gosh, like, but I have kids and a busy job and life and financial things and this and this and that. And I just don't, I just don't think that I can, I can do it. I'm not a spiritual master like them. It's like, and we, we like allow the enemy to build these mountains in our way. It's like, it's Mount Everest between me and there. I could never catch up like that when the truth is it's just a little veneer of distraction that has to be broken through and once it breaks you step into hunger and then hunger is like this self-propelling catalyzing ecosystem where you just keep getting satisfied because you're hungry in in year uh, i forget how long it was ago seven eight nine maybe ten years ago riley and i went to israel we felt like god was calling us there to kind of go on this pilgrimage with the lord we had a one-way ticket we found out we had a place to stay for the first month in Jerusalem when we landed in Tel Aviv. It was a total faith trip. We had no money. We were YWAMers, youth without any money, um, <laughs> but completely independent of actual YWAM. Right? But, so we went on our YWAM journey, and we had lots of faith but no money. And we get to, <laughs> this, this is a true story. Some of you have probably never heard this. We get, we get to Jerusalem, and it's our first day in Jerusalem. And we were walking, we were just outside the Damascus Gate, for anybody that's been there, just outside the old city. We walked, we walk in the afternoon to the Damascus Gate, and there is a full-on riot happening with like they're shooting, shooting stun grenades at the Arab youth who are very upset, and they're throwing bottles at the Israeli uh, you know, military, and it's like this altercation, and we're like, holy cow. And then we end up like a half hour later because we're stupid, we heard more shouting and we followed it. And we literally got caught in the middle of a, of a stampede of people running from the Israeli military shooting rubber stun grenades that were blowing up all around us. People were like literally bloody all around us afterwards. We didn't get touched, but we were, I remember running up an alley with Riley behind me with a stampede of people. I'd slid, it's like a movie. I was like James Bond, 007, slid under this car. With like, and I was like, where is my American flag to wave mercy, mercy, mercy? Right? This, this, is, this is an honest to God story. It was the craziest thing in my life. You know, it's like American, you don't see that kind of stuff every day on the streets. And anyways, so you're like on this like roller coaster high. You're like, oh, this is crazy. And then uh, you come from every high, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So you come to the low. And I woke up the next morning and I was like, oh, God. What are we doing here? We have literally no, no connections, no ministry, no money, no, you know, and you probably go with like this, we're going to bring revival to Israel. And I was like, oh, no, no, 
<laughs> I almost died yesterday. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this is that trip. <laughs> and um, and I, I remember praying. This is early in the morning, second day in Jerusalem. One-way ticket. We don't even know when we're coming back. And I said, Lord, why am I here? And he said, you're here to pray. And I said, that is so wonderful. But what will I do when I'm done praying after my hour or two in the morning? And he said, no, no, I don't think you understand. He said, I brought you here to learn how to pray. And I was like, like, like all day? And he was like, yes. He said, I want you to pray without ceasing. And I remember I went and woke Riley up, or he was upstairs, and I went and told him, I said, hey, dude, I, th I think this is what like, the Lord told me. He was like, I think, I felt the Lord told me the same thing. And I cannot put to words the amount of dread that I felt inside. <laughs> I was like, that sounds like the most boring, awful thing I have ever heard in my entire life. I am jet lagged and I want to go home. And we had a decision to make, which was we were either going to do our best to try and obey that, or we were going to check out or something. And I, I remember like struggling. And rather than checking out, we decided to, we started literally fasted sleep. We took two hour shifts through the night. We became our own 24 seven house of prayer. We prayed all day. We would literally wake up, go to a prayer house. Then we would walk to the temple mountain, pray. Then we'd walk to another prayer house all the way throwing a frisbee in between, so we had a little fun there. And then to another prayer house, and then back, like, they literally, these people, the one prayer house, the Baptist prayer house, they called us the monks, because they didn't know what to do with us. They're like, you wanna come up here and pray again? Like, usually come for tourists. These tourists come and pray for 15 minutes. Like, you've been up there for four hours. They didn't know what to do with us. But we, in, in a short amount of time, like, I'm talking about probably the first week was a lot of resistance. It was that veneer of distraction. And then we broke into a place that I, I can't describe to you. Hunger. I found hunger. I began to hunger for God in a way that I cannot even put to words for you. I thirsted for him. I consumed him. I, I, I read the Bible so many times I lost count. Like we, 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 I learned his voice. It would wake me up out of my bed in the wee hours of the night. Like, like crystal. Like I, I was satisfied with that which I was hungering for. Didn't change all the circumstances of life. It wasn't like that. It was like on the inside. I was being nourished with God himself. It was, it was unbelievable. There is a thin veneer of resistance between us and the more of God. And fasting has an innate ability to break it. It, it sets the, the thrust. Jackie and I, we did this, uh, we, we went out uh, on, a, on a date right at the end of the year, and we just called it like a gratitude dinner, and we spent the entire night um, just g literally going through the year and just giving thanks to God for anything we could seek or remember. We went through photos, we went through everything just to, just to give him glory for his goodness, and it was an incredible year in our lives, like in, in one way, I would say one of the most blessed years we've ever experienced, each one. But what we came down to, that above everything that we could have given him thanks for, it was for nine days, a, a, a three-day chunk at one point and a six-day chunk later, where we set apart those days to seek God. Out of all things, we went to Europe, we went to trips, we 
had material blessing in, in ways that we hadn't experienced, and that is what we came to. And on both of those occasions, the three-day chunk and the six-day chunk, we both at one point were like, there was resistance. We had, to, we had to push through. And in a lot of ways, they were kind of boring days. But we look back and we're like, what God did, he satisfied us. As we said no to a lot of other things and we said yes to him, he was faithful. There is a thin veneer of resistance that's keeping you from what your heart's yearning for. That's keeping you from experiencing even or knowing what your heart is yearning for. And fasting has the power to break it. So this is what I feel from the Lord for this house in this season, that God is calling us to a 21-day fast, feast. Uh, some of you, you say that sounds really daunting, and that's okay. You can be honest with yourself. Um, but meekness was last week, and half of you said you're more meek this week than you were last week, and meekness is perfect following, just to remind you. So I've been setting you up for weeks here. So don't ruin this moment. This is like the crescendo. I'm only halfway joking. But I feel like I get to be the privileged messenger to invite you to partner with God and join a corporate fast where we fast to get hungry. And, you know, I, I want to just give you just a, a, little, a little references to this. Um, the, what I would encourage probably most to do would be a Daniel fast. For those of you that don't know what a Daniel fast is, it's out of Daniel, book of Daniel, did a 21-day fast. And if you will remember these four words, you will be successful at a Daniel fast. No meats, no sweets. No meats, no sweets. So uh, I, I've done this many times. It's, really, it's a really good way, particularly for those of you that have never fasted before. It's a good way because you're not going to be starving um, but you will feel hunger throughout. And so you're basically eating fruits, veggies, and whole grains. You can Google Daniel Fast and you can see more extensive, but the baseline is that you'd eat no meats and no sweets for 21 days. Um, it's a really, really rich experience. Uh, there are, you know, liquid fasts that I'm sure some in this room have done. Um, you could, you know, you can do liquid fast. There is water fasting, which uh, I would not recommend unless, you know, you, I would do that in community and talk with people. Those are, can be more challenging. Uh, I've done a number of those myself, and uh, you just really want to know that the Lord's in that with you. Um, and uh, there, there's also where you can fast a meal. You could fast breakfast. You could fast lunch. You could fast dinner. Uh, you could fast coffee. Like, there's no religious mold to what this has to be, but I really, I want to exhort you to partner with each other in this season and let's fast let's set 21 days apart to actually deprive ourselves of something and feast upon God and watch what happens watch what happens the veneer will break the veneer will break in your life and you'll get hungry uh, the th only thing I want to add to this is well, two, two things one is I want to encourage you to incorporate technology uh, into this and, and I'm not saying you need to completely get off of it But I want to encourage you to limit your intake of technology and social media I just want you to try it try it for 21 days see what happens and Instead of technology social media. We've put together a Bible reading plan that will be posted daily uh, on some form you know me <laughs> of non-social media
So you can look at Instagram once a day. I just changed my mind. Mackenzie, you're sending emails. <laughs> so, uh, and I want you to feast upon God's word instead. Withhold there, it's not, it's not, this isn't a religious thing. This is just withhold and then feast upon the word. And we've, we've, we've kind of uh, curated that scripture list to psalms that are expressing hunger and desire and encounters with God, just things to fuel the hunger of your heart. Uh, I want to encourage you to start this by sundown tomorrow. Remember, quick obedience is always the best obedience. And I'm not saying that you need to obey me and that if you're, you're in disobedience, you're not. So I, I understand. There's a lot of different situations and stuff. But I really want to encourage you to just, to just partner with this and just see what happens. If you're a little scared, awesome. We get to do it together. And we get to watch. Like, let this be an experiment of faith that we are exercising before the face of God. That's pretty cool. I, I, I'm so excited for this. I think it's really going to shift us and shift things and teach us a lot. So, yeah, um, we will probably put some um, posts or some emails or something that will speak more into the topic of fasting, um, just because I know that there'll be a lot of questions. But I really want to invite you tonight uh, to that. I, uh, Jackie and I will be uh, doing this ourselves. Haven't exactly landed on, on all the dynamics, but I know that we're going to start with the Daniel fast. And so I want to encourage you to join that. And then with this, I want you to just come to prayer. We do Monday, Monday nights in this room, Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. and pre-service prayer. I want to really encourage you, come and pray. Like make this a time where you just set it apart and say, God, the beginning of this year, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to seek your face. You're the one thing that I want. Your presence is enough for me. Amen. Amen. Well, this is how I just want to close is anybody that you just, you, you, you're hungry to get hungry. You want God to just uh, awaken something in your heart. If that's you, I just want you to stand. And maybe just put your hand on your heart. And I want you to just express your own desire to God. You know, don't hold it back. Just tell them, I, I hunger for you. Or maybe, God, I'm, I'm hungry to hunger. I'm, I'm willing to be made hungry. Just, just ask him. Just say, God, just give me grace. Let me touch the hunger of your heart. You know, this isn't for me. Think of the, I think of the man who's yearning for Jesus. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me. He was a hungry man. He got his eyes healed. He, he kind of broke the social norms. It was awkward. They told him to shut up. He, he wouldn't. Like, if you're hungry for God, I want you to just tell him. Like that woman who was bleeding and she broke the norm. You weren't allowed to touch a rabbi, and especially if you were a bleeding woman, but she, she was so hungry she couldn't help herself. She reached out and touched the holy man's cloak. And her hunger got her healed. Yeah, just stir up a desire, God. 
Lord, I thank you for this moment of invocation, Lord, that you are ordaining a season of fasting in this house. Lord, I thank you that you're a spiritual feast. God, you're ringing the dinner bell for a feast, a feast upon your presence, God, a feast upon you, you, you Jesus. God, I just pray that grace, let grace come upon us right now. God, I just pray for fasting grace to come upon us right now. Lord, that you just stir us up, Spirit of God, Spirit of grace. God, I thank you that you say that anyone who prays with faith and believes will tell that mountain to move and be cast into the sea. So I just speak to the mountains, God, these, these mountains, these, these mythical mountains that are standing between us, God, and the life that we're longing for, God, the things that we're yearning for. And I just speak and say, mountains be moved tonight. God, the mountains of distraction, the mountains that say you don't have what it takes. You're not a spiritual athlete. You don't have discipline. I just say mountains be moved in the name of Jesus tonight. God, the things that are standing between your people and the destiny that you ordained for them before they ever lived a day on this earth. We say mountains be moved. God, break the veneer of distraction and draw your people into true hunger and thirst for your presence, God. Yeah, it is for you. It is for you. And I just lift up those of you that the same feeling I had in Israel when God asked me to pray. That that's what you have right now thinking about a fast. I just pray grace to you. Grace to you in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that obedience does not always feel good, but it creates good. God, in that momentary light affliction produces an eternal weight of glory. We thank you for an eternal weight of glory being cultivated in this time, in this house. God, make us hungry, we pray. Make us hungry, we pray. Make us hungry, we pray, oh God. <laughs> This is what I, I feel right now is that for some of you, uh, it's probably time for you to go and the Lord's just going to release you. But for some of you, the Lord wants to meet you right here, but you need to wait. So if you need to wait, I just want you to wait. It's not about me. Be meek before him. And if it's time to go and, you know, your kids, like, it's not a shame thing. Like, the Lord will release you. You'll have peace. But uh, maybe, maybe Shifa, if you could just come up here and play keys. This isn't for me. This is for him. So I love you, church. I bless you. And Lord, I bless what you're doing. God, for those that it's time to go, I bless them as they go. Bless their homes. Bless their children. Bless their families. Bless them, God. Bless us. For those that need to stay, God, I bless them. Just bless them to know your peace and to enter into to feast upon you even now, that it, that it starts now. So just have your way. Teach us how to be led by you and work your wonders in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're on the ministry team and you see people kind of lingering, I just encourage you to maybe just listen and roam around and just bless what the Lord's doing.